Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm Elaine Miller Karras. And my guest today is Jennifer Burton, licensed marriage family therapist. Jennifer is a leading psychotherapist in private practice in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And she will share her wisdom about how we can cultivate our grace and compassion during challenges we are all facing during these unprecedented times. Grace is defined as an attitude of friendliness, helpfulness, and cooperation, which really describes the nature of Jen. I've known her for many years. And in today's times, it has been hard to discover grace at times when many of us have faced uncertainty, polarization, and grief from losing loved ones. She will share how she has integrated a variety of treatment modalities into helping people, including the trauma resiliency model and the community resiliency model. I'm also very proud to say that Jennifer was one of the very first therapists to become a trauma resiliency model faculty member, and she's been one of the leading contributors to the community resiliency model since her work with the Trauma Resource Institute in what was a very arduous project, uh, the Mm -hmm. California Mental Health Innovation project. And I, <laughs> look at, she's laughing. We, we both uh, probably got some gray hairs over that one, but she has been a featured guest on the Laverne Cox show as a co-author of a chapter in, and I'll say our book, Building Resilience to Trauma. She has traveled extensively in the U.S. and to Northern Ireland to share crim wellness skills after human-made and natural disasters, including the terrorist attacks that happened at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and in San Bernardino County. Um, And I just want to say, welcome, Jennifer. I am so elated to have you today. And as as we get started, I just want to say, what's on your mind? Is there anything that's coming up for you as we're just starting this this conversation together today? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I was thinking as we were getting on today, how it's so, the times seem to be getting more chaotic, not less chaotic, and how much that topic of grace and um, under all of that's going on right now is so important. So I think that's kind of on my mind, the holidays and the swirling nature of, you know, the continued pandemic issues and all of that. It just feels like a lot right now. I think it is a lot. And I think that I, you know, I think there's also like a roller coaster ride. I feel like we've been on it as individuals mm-hmm. as and as a nation, you know, kind of like, oh, we're going to get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. You know, those of us that believe mm-hmm. in vaccines said, oh, once we get mm-hmm. the vaccine, then we can go back to some semblance of normal life. And then now we have this Omicron. I know we had plans to go to the Palm Desert for um, New Year's Eve and we decided not to go. 
uh, yesterday because yeah. of all these different things that are happening. So I think there's a lot of uneasiness and what's going to happen, the unknown. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing I think is just the grief. Um, one of our colleagues, mm-hmm. um, Mike Sapp, who's been on the show a few times, his next door neighbor, who was very young, is I think he was in his late 40s, early 50s, just died of COVID. So oh, had three kids. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's unrelentless, right? Many of you mm-hmm. that are listening have dealt with some of these things. So today's show, we're going to do just a deeper dive and, you know, kind of getting some wisdom from Jen about how to help people. Um, she mm-hmm. has a very active private practice. So I had to like, can we get you an hour on the show? So I'm so glad to have her here. So but let me ask you, Jen, um, how have your life challenges illuminated your life's purpose? I, that's a really good question. I feel like they've informed me throughout. And I feel like, honestly, I'm still that's still an unfolding knowing for me, how they keep informing me or how I keep healing myself alongside working with clients and, you know, community members and such. And, um, you know, when I came to you, I, I had done a lot of training already and was really still suffering from panic attacks and anxiety. And um, I think those challenges that I had around that and managing myself in the world with that high level of anxiety and was so exhausting and debilitating and finally coming to skills and tools that helped me so dramatically that I think has been the underpinning. I'm not, there's obviously countless things I could talk about because we've all lived uh, full lives, right? I'm 52. I've lived a lot of life, but, but that in particular, I think that ability to control and manage that volume knob for myself is, I think, the underpinning of my whole practice and, you know, teaching with you and all of that. And so hopefully you can talk a little bit more, more about that, because I know that when you learned about the biological underpinnings of your anxiety and panic, that that really was a game changer. But I also want to just say, when I first met you too, you were, I was, I was always so um, admired you so much because mm-hmm. here you were a young woman. You were in your thirties when I met you. Goodness gracious, yeah. you were just yeah. a baby comparatively mm-hmm. speaking. But yeah. you had dedicated yourself to working in a day treatment p- program mm-hmm. for people who had what we call persistent mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I was really inspired by, you know, in terms of you being an art therapist and also integrating some of the, the wellness skills of the trauma resiliency model into the, into the setting. But it was yeah. just your embracing of that all people can learn things. And because as we know, there's so much stigma about chronic mental illness. I don't know if you want to say mm-hmm. a little bit about that, but that's always been something that really struck me about you. You know, I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but when I was a little girl, I grew up in the Fairfax District of Los Angeles, which at that time had a lot of, um, it was a very large Jewish population that lived in in the area, and a lot of Holocaust survivors lived there, and I was kind of surrounded by, um, by survivors. And I think there was always something that I felt like my heartstrings would tug and uh, at being a young Jewish girl, I learned about the Holocaust really young. And, and I think there was something about the suffering of others and the collective suffering that always sat with me and sat with me throughout my schooling. And that then in high school, I was able to volunteer through a psychology class at the VA. And I was working with Hmm. folks 
in the locked ward there, um, one of whom had had a lobotomy. And it was <sighs> it just my heart just was always being impacted, not in a it, definitely that both and, you know, it wasn't only the pain of watching the suffering, but also the joining with that and being able to be present with somebody and hold space with them or connect with them in whatever way, whether it was the gardener who was <laughs> mowing the lawn when I was a little girl or these folks on the ward. And then that translate, I just think it kept going. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that I've loved about you talking about your work as a social worker and as a Lamaze coach, all the different things that you did that led you that I feel like in my heart, I'm much more inclined to, to that joining place and that meeting somebody where they're at and that everybody can learn and everybody can take in things. And when we connect with them heart to heart, it's just, it's a human connection. And that nervous system piece then just gave it the, the underpinning support for something I'd already felt like I was doing. Well, and I just, I've always been struck by, you know, your disbelief in our common humanity. I think that yeah. certainly is something that bound us together as we were mm-hmm. kind of learning together as we went along. And yeah. certainly, I think when we went into the, the Mental Health um, Services Act um, project in San Bernardino, mm-hmm. <laughs> we were going, mm-hmm. well, we think this will work. <laughs> so, and of course, totally. we learned that, yes, it, it does work, but it also came with that belief that there is yeah. something that we could bring to to all of humanity because yeah. that that project we were charged to by the state of California to reach mm-hmm. people who weren't necessarily um, interested in accessing mental health services. So in that way, we had to think outside the box. And I mean, I always um, have so much uh, appreciation for you of being my partner um, mm-hmm. during that time because there was a you know you and me and Peggy I think were in there. <laughs> Peggy Roward, who's already been on the show, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're doing so much work together. But I guess. Yeah. Brings me to my next question for you: Is that what gives you courage or strength or hope? What What is it about this journey that touches you in that way? What brings you courage, hope, strength? Um, I mean, I think I can certainly say um, my, you know, family and friends give me that. My um, music gives me that. Poetry gives me that. And when I say all these things, I think the common through line is love and connection. That is, I don't know. I I don't know how to put it any other way other than that feels just so like, it feels so solid for me about where I want to live from and, and what I would hope for others. And, and honestly, I don't know. This time has been so tremendously difficult. For, mm-hmm. for me personally, too, I would say my, my therapist certainly also gives me strength, <laughs> you know, having therapy yes. help. Um, but, but um, I mean, there were times that I felt really low zone, and I'm not one to normally feel low zone. I mean, I know when you met me, I was pretty high zone. <laughs> not that I can't still go there, but, but these times I've felt, I felt a lot of low and, and grief and pain and you know, I do think that what has kept me going is um, being able to continue delivering this work in the world, being able to continue helping others, but that gives me strength and courage to keep going. Um, you know, I think there, if I can thing. bring this in, mm-hmm. because two yeah. people that you have shared with me in our relationship with, with other, I know, have now passed, but um, yeah. was your grandmother and your grandfather. 
And I guess I have to also say, because there was a foundation that was started, that when Tri had very little money and we were trying to bring this forward, I was thinking Mm -hmm. of the legacy that you carry forward. You want to just say a couple things about your family, the family foundation. And I mean, I think it's, it might be nice to mention them because I certainly have appreciation for that too. Yeah. Thank you so much. I I love that. And I have to say that I'm actually leaning against um, a blanket that I got for her in Belfast at oh. our trip in Belfast and that she had on her when she passed and I, I took it back. <laughs> so I, I'm leaning against a resource that brings her to me, but um, her father and mother, Max and Pauline Zimmer, and they are, um, Max Zimmer started the Max and Pauline Zimmer Family Foundation and um, they have given money both in Israel as well as, you know, countless places throughout uh, California, Los Angeles, um, to organizations that are working to um, better humanity, <laughs> I would say, you know, and Try has been, uh, you know, obviously my work with Try is so from my heart and immediately I thought that needs to be a marriage and something I bring to my family to see if they would also help support uh, tries and and they world. did and and one of the things that I was so appreciative of them is that they helped fund scholarships, so yeah. so that we could really not say no to anyone who wanted to take our training. So anyway, I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that they are in my heart, and that yeah. you know having never met them, yeah. but knowing that 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 legacy continues through you and your mm-hmm. I know your aunt and uncle as well and your cousins. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was just maybe we can segue into another question. Um, yeah, and we just we mentioned it already, but during the last few days, many people around the world are again facing that surge of the, the this latest variant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know people are experiencing this fatigue and I think there's you know like we said there's a fear of the unknown um, are there any particular things that you can maybe share with us that you think can help us get through this time right now that's so uncertain and I may, may add a few things to Jen but I would just love to I get hope your so. <laughs> yes, about it. yes you know I, I think it's it, I take a lot from, um, obviously, from Crim and Trim when I'm talking to, to clients and was just doing that this morning, actually, on a session this morning about how, you know, we, we can't control those unknown things. We're going to be faced with those winds that blow, and I can't control that, but I can do something about my response to them. And I, I think we can either go down that rabbit hole of despair of, oh no, here it comes again. And then I'm hijacked by that, oh no story. And then my nervous system gets hijacked. And what I really think is the most important is kind of back to that question you asked me a few moments ago, what gives you courage, hope, and strength? It's, and sometimes it's the smallest seemingly little thing like, oh, I have a favorite color. Or, oh, I really love this mug that I drink my tea out of every morning. And we don't realize it's it's a thing that's helping us get through, but there's things small and large, right? My memory, my grandparents is bigger, you know, my family or friends or connection, but this glass of water that I have here every day is also, it helps me get through. And if it wasn't here, I wouldn't feel as grounded without that. And so it's not a denial to me of, of what's happening and it, what is swirling, what keeps coming. But it's also, how am I going to deal with that if I also don't have something to come in to help, to help me? 
Right. So it's, it. it's also, I mean, I, I love the way you said it too, because it's also remembering these little things, but with both things, whether you're remembering your grandmother and you're mm-hmm. thinking about her with that shawl that's now behind your chair in your office, it's really bringing that to present moment awareness, whether it's something yeah. that was a large um, um, gratitude in your life or whether it was a small, like even mm-hmm. having water that we can that we can drink safely, that we can say, okay, I can, I can take this sip. I know you went to Flint, Michigan and helped them when yeah. they were with the crisis um, that was occurring there as well. So I, I think we can't change the windstorms, can we? The windstorms are there, but then we can have some impact on what we can do ourselves. And so I guess to say to all of our listeners, think about some of those little things. You know, what is in your environment? That Maybe there's something in the room that you're in. Maybe it's looking outside and seeing a tree. Um, or a bird, or whatever it might be, but try to see if there's something, even small, that can make a difference for, for you. And I, I think that I've certainly seen that in you know myself. For me, you know, my granddaughter lives with us now, um, mm-hmm. with my daughter and son-in-law, and so she gives me um, a lot of joy every single day. But yeah. it's one of those things where you can capture a little moment, you know, because she's not, you know, sometimes she can have little tantrums too, not very often sure. sometimes, but sure. you know, those little moments that are just so sweet. Um, I think those yeah. are the things that, that we need to hold on to right now, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm also wanting, wanting to talk a little bit about grief, um, yeah. thinking about, um, you know, just our friend Michael Sapp, who's mm-hmm. next door neighbor died, um, mm-hmm. and they had the funeral service yesterday. Mm-hmm. But well, can you say some things about getting through grief right now? Because I think the holidays seem to etch it deeper into our hearts. They do. They do. I, I think um, I have a couple thoughts about it. You know, one is that I've been you know, I scroll on social media just like any any of us might. Yes. Um, and one of the things I've been seeing is is a, is talking about people who are grieving and that if people are gathering together and there's one person who's had a loss or something's happened to not shy away from the grief, to open the dialogue, to talk about it. And I think so many of us shy away from it because we don't want to touch into that pain in ourselves. And I don't know what to say, or I don't know the right thing to say. And we don't realize that just being with somebody or opening up the, the opportunity to talk about the loved one or talk about the pain of the loss is, is enough. You know, we can't, I don't know that there ever is a really the right thing to say or the one thing to say. It's really our presence with one another. Um, and that was one thing I was thinking of is just to invite the conversation or light a candle or do something that marks it because I think we've all been touched by so much loss in these recent times, you know, and the well, other even thing a little was, ritual, like a little ritual yeah. that, so lighting yeah. a candle, I know is something that I, I particularly have done. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes on the mm-hmm. actual, like, let's say there's a celebratory day, like for some of us yeah. for Christmas, if we celebrate Christmas, mm-hmm. is lighting a candle in the memory of all the people who passed in the family. Yeah. And maybe yeah. even saying something, oh, your grandma used to do this, or I remember when this happened. or. But yeah. it's like, it's the memorialization, not in, in the fact that they're gone, but in how they lived. And that's, it's how they lived, right? In terms of what they gave to us. Like, like you know, I never yeah. met your grandma, but you just told me so much about her that I just, I just, I was in love with her because of how you described her love of, of for you, right? So She was such a phenomenal woman. And I remember saying at her, when we, we had a Zoom memorial because it was during COVID and, you know, honestly, the, the, 
the resource part of that through line is that people in Israel could join. There were people that, you know, had we had something in person, we wouldn't have been able to include everybody. And so that ability to see people across time zones was incredible. But um, there was something that Glennon Doyle said um, in a talk I, I saw her give some years back, that grief is our ticket to ride. And that it's the proof of how much we've loved. It's the, it's that, um, commensurate, you know, the sadness or the pain that we feel is commensurate with how much we've loved. And I also saw recently an interview, I think it was on Stephen Colbert with um, Andrew Garfield, who's an actor, and he he had just lost his mother. And he peered up and he said, and these tears are okay. He said, because I love talking about her. And he said, this is the unfinished song, because no matter how much, how long someone's lived, the song is still unfinished. It's the stuff they didn't get to they didn't get to sing, and so we're carrying it on by sharing and, and grieving and talking about them. And it just gave me chills, give me chills now to talk about it. It just, when I, when I heard him speak to it, it just felt so true because I love talking about my grandmother. And it's only just been a year, it's, you know, um, it was a year in October, and I can't even believe it's a year. And I, when she first passed, I didn't really know how I was going to go on on a planet that she didn't inhabit anymore and every time I go to LA I think oh my gosh I'm not going to their house and I'm not and I can feel like a little lump in my throat while I'm talking about it but there's so much love and memories and wonderful things and I have pictures sitting you know right over here on my shelf I look at her and my grandfather every day and and it's such a I wouldn't trade that for anything well, you know, I, and I, I also want to say, too, like I have a, a table to my right in my office, and I have a picture of my grandmother and my parents who now mm-hmm. passed, my best friend, Pam, who died much too mm-hmm. early. But I have other pictures there. So, it's, it's my picture of the people that are still living within my heart, but who've left the planet. So, I think if we can remember about memorializing people in that way, that could make a huge difference, too. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I think the other thing is I wanted to just kind of add on to what you've said, is that sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to bring up the person who's died because I'm just going to make them feel worse. I don't, I really have learned that that's not necessarily the case. There may be tears, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes people don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. And when you don't say anything, it makes it more awkward for the person who's grieving. And so, you can always kind of even say, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about your grandma right now, but just to know, I would love to hear about her if you want to share anything about her with right. me. So we right. can still do it in an invitational way, um, mm-hmm. and not. And if the person says, "Oh, I don't really want to talk about it right now," which that could happen, right? But if they right. do, then it gives space to be able to to say something, because mm-hmm. I do think the holidays do bring these kinds of things out. But there was something else you said. There were a couple things. Is there another thing you wanted to say about helping people that um, are grieving right now besides the? rituals and the the conversation well i mean i think then it's inviting the body piece right that that we're always talking about it that's that's the the piece i think that is to me that this this model both crim and trim have that missing piece that any that any modalities that i might bring into my therapy work i'm always going to integrate that body piece and what's happening on the inside while you're telling me about this. Like, I mean, I was tracking myself while I was telling you, but not everybody's going to know how to do that. And so I think it's that invitation of knowing or noticing somebody's tears and even just saying, oh, I noticed the tears or I'm with you in that sadness or, you know, 
or my heart feels warm when you're talking about that person or sharing that with me or, you know, it's so joining. And to me, that, that is the extra piece I would always add in, you know, yes. around the grief. So for our listeners um, who may not know what CRIM and TRIM is, that's the little acronym we use to talk about the community resiliency model and the trauma resiliency model that Jen and I are both really well-versed in um, that I helped develop and that Jennifer has really been also someone who's contributed greatly to both CRIM and TRIM. So um, that, that's, those are the little acronyms. But when we talk about the body-centered piece, I just want to emphasize that. You know, this is also for those, of, uh, for those of you that may be listening for the first time, there's something called interceptive awareness, and that actually is being researched by neuroscientists. And that's our ability to kind of just pay attention to the sensations in our body. But when we can cultivate that awareness, like when it's cold outside, we, we may go, oh, I'm only in a t-shirt, I'm going to put a jacket on. That's you noticing a sensation and then taking an action. Well, the same thing can be true about our feelings, right? So, we might say, oh my God, I'm feeling so much sadness about my grandma, but then maybe the action is, I'm going to call my good friend and talk to her about my grandma. So, those kinds of um, experiences of noticing those sensations and paying attention, like, like you said, the warmth, is that Um, researchers are finding that people have more control of their emotions, better impulse control when they learn to read their nervous system. So that's Mm -hmm. something that Jen and I believe in wholeheartedly and um, try to bring it out into the world. And we are both doing that in many different ways in our lives. So, um, so Jen, I just wonder, you know, we're going to take a little break in just a second, but Mm -hmm. before we do that, um, you know, you had mentioned something about, you know, you had anxiety and panic attacks and, Mm maybe before the break, just say kind of a little bit about how this reading the nervous system helped you change your experience or your relationship mm-hmm. with your anxiety. Um, yeah, I think, um, well, briefly, I would say that, you know, when I would have panic attacks, they were very, they were felt global, but they were very internal. And I would get very quiet if I was in a group of people and I didn't want anybody to see that I was feeling so out of control on the inside. And I thought I was going to die when I would be in a full panic attack. And it was the learning about my body and the nervous system, the biology of release sensations, because I would shake and then I would feed that shaking into the oh no of the panic. But it was really my body letting go of that stuckness of that, that fear response in the body. And I'm noticing I'm taking a deep breath while I'm saying it. Um, (laughs) And what I found was I had to, I had to start from the end of a panic attack. I couldn't, because I think the sensations initially around the beginnings of panic were too subtle for me. And um, over time, I could track it from the end and then go back to the beginning. And I, once I knew that there was release, it took the fear out of the release. It took the fear out of the shaking. And then once the fear was gone, my story changed around what was happening. And so I had a new narrative then for, for what was going on in my body. And I had the knowing. It really helped to know the biology piece because then it demystified the whole process because it felt so out of control. Now, once it was demystified, then I could actually get curious and pay attention where I think before it was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm feeling it. Don't feel it. Don't feel it. You know, so it's like the fear. It was almost like a feedback loop of fear. And that just got yes. bigger and bigger bigger and bigger. And then I would go to, you know, get to places where, of course, the panic attack is a fear of panic, right? It's, you know, you start to fear that you'll have a panic attack, and then you have a panic attack. And so, 
for me to be able to track it back then to the first little like sensation in my stomach that would then lead to a full heat response in my body that would then heart pounding and feeling dizzy and nauseous and all that stuff. It was being able to intervene at that first spot and move my attention to some other spot or some other place or outside my body. <laughs> that sounds like it would, would have been, that one must have been transformational for you. It was like I could have had a V8 moment, you know, it was like, (laughs) oh my God, you know, and I only know, you know, for all those years I was suffering that I didn't well, and I like think that. that's why I think that you and I both and many of the people that we work with are so zealous about trying to get this out to as many people as possible, yeah. because then that then really the power is in your hand to be able to manage it. You don't have to be in the yeah. therapist's office once you learn how to do this. So no, and I, I kept practicing and I kept breaking it myself. I would break yes. it, break it, break it, break it. And then the pathway for that panic and anxiety, you know, it, really dramatically lessened. Well, you were building a new pathway. So for all of our listeners, we are going to hear more from Jennifer Burton, licensed marriage family Mm -hmm. therapist after our break, where she will tell us a little bit more and share a little bit more information about what else can help us um, get through these unprecedented times. And I want to talk a little bit more about grace as well when we come Mm -hmm. back with Jennifer Burton. Mm -hmm. So um, we will be back with more wonderful conversation. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. This is Elaine Miller Karras, and I'm here with my guest. Jennifer Burton, licensed marriage family therapist. Jennifer has a private practice um, in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. I imagine, Jen, you're doing most of your your sessions through telehealth now? All, all sessions through telehealth, yes. Okay. So just so I want to, I'm going to ask you this at the end of the show too. So if people wanted to get in touch with you, um, how would they do that? Is there a website that they could access? I do have a website. It's jenniferburtonmst.com and uh, people can look there it's in need of updating but you can reach me through that okay good <laughs> yeah. so they can get it they can get a message to you if they if they mm-hmm. want more information about yes. the work that you do yeah well so yes. jennifer i was hoping that we maybe would talk a little bit more we, we were just um right before the break we were talking about the panic attack and and how mm-hmm. you can now harness what happened to you and you don't yeah. you, you actually said something during the break that maybe would be good to share with the, our listeners and that you said it that learning these skills saved your life. Can you share a little bit more about what that means? I, I think it was that sense of, of having the, it was almost like you handed me the remote control and I got to change the volume or the channel or turn it off or turn it on on the inside. And having that autonomy in me really saved my life. It changed the my whole sense of, walking in the world. I felt more like myself walking in the world and I felt less bandied about by what was going on or the things that would typically have triggered the panic. So that you weren't derailed by some of the things that would derail you when those anxiety and the panic right. happened, which I think right. is a lot about what's happening right now with people. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about people getting stuck in the high zone and the low zones. High zone is like anxious, annoyed, angry. Low zone is like disconnected, depressed. And you said you had more low zone experiences during this yeah. last year and a half, almost two years. And I am, mm-hmm. I have to say that I think I've been more roller coaster. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I, like you, I tend to be more high zone, but mm-hmm. I've definitely had more low zone times where I'm like, gosh, I don't even know if I can, I need to take a nap. Yeah. It's yeah. like just been yeah. so much. And I think yeah. the other thing is Same. I'm a person that, you know, used to travel a lot, you know, like 120,000 miles in 2019. And now I'm pretty much grounded. Um, so my life is very different. And getting accustomed yeah. to that, you think, well, maybe after almost two years, I should be, but I don't think I'm quite accustomed to it. See, I thought it was going to be over, but it's not. Yeah. And I think probably yeah. a lot of people thought it was going to be over or better. And now mm-hmm. we're saying, oh my gosh, it's going to maybe be worse than it was last year. Yeah. That seems yeah. unbelievable to me. So I'm just wondering yeah. if you have anything, you know, you might, you might say something to your old buddy. <laughs> what can I do to help myself right now? <laughs> I'm sure there's other people in high and low zone states. So you know, you'd be you helping know, me and others, Jen. <laughs> You know, it's funny because the first thing that popped into my mind, there was a meme that came across my phone that when you realize that 2022 means 2022, T-O-O, it was like, oh, but it was that that kind of collective, like, oh my gosh, we're in this together, like that we could even have moments of humor that lift us up out of that 
that place of despair, you know, because I think we can be like, oh, my God, here we go again. What is well, I, you know? yeah, you know, you're funny. Humor has de- definitely got me through. And, and you know yeah. that I have a sense of humor. So do you and mm-hmm. like people mm-hmm. that surround me. But I really I really did think 2021. I remember going, ah, 2021, 2020 is yeah. over. And then I'm going, OMG, 2021 has not been easy. Um, we started out, out with a bang with the insurgency and everything that's come since. Yeah. And then now here we are, you know, approaching, I can't even believe it, we're like December 20th. This, I mean, I feel like I blinked I and, the, and the year went by. So Yeah, yeah, which is so weird because we think like when you're traveling and doing a million things, we're going, that, go, that time goes by fast. But this time feels different. It feels almost time warpy or time it's like the sense of time is not the same it, it feels like within this no and I, you know, sometimes I think well maybe it's because I'm older but then I talk to younger people and they go oh what day is today <laughs> I'm going mm-hmm. oh well oh I think today is Monday <laughs> but but yeah. I say I think it's Monday I have to look because before I used to know what day it was you right, know, that's, right but now it's it is like that time warpy you know, experience. So, so what are some other things to help people if they're going into those high low zone states? What are some other tips that you have for our listeners? So with, with my clients recently, what I've noticed because it runs the range, right? Somebody coming in and talking about difficulty they're having with someone in their household or difficulty they're having with dealing with work stuff or being out versus in, you know, what, what all that means and, you know, so many different things. And, with that high-low zone, I've started talking more about the survival responses with my clients. I've started talking about um, that biology piece. I find that the education about the energy that's rising in the nervous system, and I've started, this is just my own sense, but talking about it as survival energy that's coming up in the system and that we might want to fight or we might want to flee or we might freeze or we might do that tend and befriend and you know sort of what some people call fawning although I know we don't love that word no I don't like that (laughs) word don't love that word (laughs) I don't either because it's so negative right and I feel like there's some being able to educate my clients about these survival energies of when they might come up that this is organic in the body and when I'm out and I encounter whether that's when I'm out and I'm encountering encountering someone who's not wearing a mask or, you know, or somebody who isn't wearing a mask and they're upset and somebody is wearing a mask or, you know, whatever those, those different energies are, something going on between a couple, you know, and what's happening between them and trying to help my clients un- not only understand cognitively, but also get a sense in how do they know that their body is in the higher low zone? How do they know that their body might be in that? So what do you say? So how would a person know they were in their high zone? How would they know that, Jen? What would you say to a person? What does that mean, Jen? What I would say to that person is when you feel like your heart's really racing really quickly and fast, or you feel a rush of heat, or you feel that what they would, what somebody might call rage state, or that anxious panic state that we were just talking about, or that vigilance that comes up, that awareness of I have to be on the lookout all the time. Like those are those sensory experiences and awarenesses that let us know that, 
oh my gosh, I'm in the high zone. And actually my perception, my perspective on the world looks very different from the high zone. Because it can be a distorted distorted perspective, right? Because if you're always up there, then everybody looks like a threat, which I think we're seeing more right now. Um, you know, one of the things I think that goes along with that when we're up in those those high zone states, and I was I just saw in, in the, on the news today, which is so tragic, that the number one leading cause of death is fentanyl um, overdose in the United States right now. And yeah. what I think is that when people get into those high zone states of being stuck high or low, that they will reach to try to get out of those. It's it's really physically, emotionally. Yeah. psychologically uncomfortable. And right. sometimes they'll reach for anything that feels like it can quell that. And sadly, some people reach to drugs, right. which, you know, unfortunately, the way that the fentanyl is being laced with other things is causing a lot of people to die in the United States right now. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, exactly. So or if you, we're reaching or, you know, or there's other, you know, you name it, right? How do we numb? We, name, we numb in so many different ways. I'm scrolling on my phone more hours of the day or minutes of the day or, you know, I'm looking to the glass of wine or, you know, it's all the way. Or pornography or any of or those food, kinds of things. Right. Any food. of that. Yep, so, yep. so any of those kinds of things that when we're in those survival response states, we want to get out of them. Because that's right. almost that's almost like a natural way to I want to get out of this anger or this, mm-hmm. you know, I feel frozen all the time or I feel like mm-hmm. I want to get away all the time. Mm-hmm. And so then if if you give this education to your clients, then, okay, well, thank you, Jen. I know I now know about the survival response, but how do you help me get out of that? So then I'm looking for, well, what are, you know, typically we can obviously go into any of the states, but a lot of my clients have like a default, like they might tend to go into a fight response more regularly or more readily, or some people go into tend and befriend more readily or whatever that might look like. And so, for example, when the fight response wants to come, I really, again, normalize this is your biology at work. And could we possibly find a way to offload that energy, get it through and out of the body rather than, you know, go and scream at your kids or your spouse or your friend or your boss. Or, or create, or, or also do a violent act that ha- sometimes or, happens in those high zone exactly, states. Exactly. Exactly. That I could invite, for example, somebody to go and push on a wall and let them, you know, imagine getting that response out out of the body. Sometimes there's yelling, sometimes there's sound, sometimes there's words that want to come out. But I'm, I'm noticing I'm making this motion with my hand that's like through and out, through and out, right? How do we get it out so that it's not stuck and stuffed um, and also not popping out in, in really ways that could harm themselves or others? Yeah, so, um, so, so one moving way. the large muscles of the arms and legs and just doing mm-hmm. something as like a controlled push against a wall, a tree, something mm-hmm. like that, and also yeah. just sensing that in your arms and your legs can mm-hmm. reduce, like turning the volume down on that survival energy, right. so then right. that may cause those release sensations like you talked about, a deeper right. breath and maybe shaking it out. We even have mm-hmm. those colloquialisms in our language, right? We'll shake it right. out. Well, what right. is you have to sometimes do the action in order for it to shake out. And you right. said earlier, those release sensations were so important for you. Because so, important. so can you talk a little bit about that kind of the paradigm shift between shaking, meaning there was something wrong with you and shaking that there was something right about you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the shaking that would happen at the end of panic before I had all this understanding of my biology, I thought it meant that I was even more out of control. And if I was 
going to like flail around or shake too much. And I would feed it into the oh no story of that panic. But once you taught me that this was my biology at work, then I wasn't in the fear of it as much. I wasn't as afraid of what my body was doing. And then I actually, it it was like befriending my nervous system. It really was like that. And that's what I'm hoping to teach, you know, my clients and others is that you also can befriend your nervous system and that there are so many different ways, you know, uh, within the app, the iChill app, the Help Now skills, all of these different um, things that we can bring in that always often sometimes we can't push on a wall, right? Or we can't do something in that moment. But even inviting that, what if you just excuse yourself to go to the bathroom, you know, and you pay attention to your feet as you're walking to the bathroom and your legs engaging, your muscles of your legs engaging. And then when you're in the bathroom, you might run the water and notice the water on your hands or notice the smell of the soap. And then you have a moment to yourself also when the door's closed, to, to take a pause, a resiliency pause, as, as you sometimes call them, right? Resiliency pause. And then I might be able to have more perspective. It might turn the volume down on that fight response I was about to have. And then I might be able to approach somebody differently when well, I come and out. So, and so, Jen, you know, as you're talking, some people may be listening. Well, Jennifer's a, you know, one of the leading therapists in LA and San Francisco. And here she's talking about walking and pushing against the wall. That's like body stuff. So is, I mean, do you still talk about feelings and thoughts that people have? So can you just explain that? Because some people may think, well, that's not what I thought therapy was. When I watched Tony Soprano, you know, he's talking <laughs> to that therapist and they're not pushing against the wall. I think Tony Soprano right. could, have, could have pushed against a few walls and maybe not killed so many people, right? He might have been able to do <laughs> he that. Have, he might yes. have been able to do that. Exactly. I, you know, I, I think to me, that's another educational piece with my clients is that we're not denying thoughts and feelings. We're not denying the stories, you know, that are living within us but that all of that has corresponding body sensations that go along with it. You know, um, I I study Brene Brown's work and, you know, she says we're story making, meaning making beings. Okay. And what do I, what happens when I'm in a story that is hijacking my nervous system? It's, it's the ability to tap in on that level, on that nervous system level, that then might shift my feelings, my emotions, and then my narrative or my story about it. So it's not that we're not dealing with sadness or anger or frustration or any of that. In fact, it might make it if I go to the bathroom and do the walking and this body stuff that we're talking about, that I can then come out and say, you know, when you said that I was really frustrated or I felt really angry and now I can be in social engagement with the person and hopefully talk it through. You know, and I'm still communicating my feelings, but I'm not. And this is really important what you said. So what we're saying is that when you do something with the body and you notice that there's a shifting from a state of being in that high zone or low zone, which is disconnected, and you just take that walk to the bathroom and back again, and you pay attention to your feet hitting the floor, that that actually has a way of helping our prefrontal cortex to actually start the meaning making in a more positive way. So that it doesn't get stuck in, oh, that person's out to get me. If we stay in that rageful, heart beating fast, it's really that fight response is really meant for fight or flight, right? It's not meant to sit there and have a meaningful, compassionate conversation with someone. But then what you just described is then being in a place, which we would call in in your resilient zone or your zone Mm -hmm. of well-being, where, okay, now I can have the conversation, which I think leads me to my next question for you um, perfectly, which is, um, 
how do we nature <laughs> nurture? This is hard. We might have to both work on this one, Jen. Mm-hmm. A graceful and compassionate nature when we sometimes do not feel like our best selves. Mm-hmm. How do we nurture that? I mean, you certainly have seen me at times when I haven't been my best self. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are times that you've seen me at my best self. So, yeah. when those kinds of things happen, what, what do we do to try to remember that there is grace there is a compassionate way to come forward. What, what would you say? Well, I think, you know, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that that is precisely why I invite people to learn about and practice those wellness skills of the community resiliency model, because if I can practice those, then my resilient zone, which is that place where I think compassion and grace and those states live, it doesn't mean that I can't be angry or frustrated or sad or all that and still be in my resilient zone. But I think those states of compassion and equanimity and, you know, being able to take perspective, those live in the resilient zone. And if we cultivate that and if we practice and grow new pathways, then our resilient zone deepens, right? If I contract my body, which is really the place of the intervention, that that bottom up, you know, from the body up, if I can do that and cultivate that and my resilient zone deepens and less stuff is going to bump me out, I'm going to feel like my be- not my best self less often. But also when I don't feel my best self, I can act- when I'm back in my zone, I can own that I wasn't my best self, which is what I've noticed. You know, I mean, you're aware, right? You're, right. you're aware, right? It <laughs> doesn't feel good when I get I, bumped out of my zone, but at least I'm aware that I am, which would, would have been like you. I wouldn't yeah. have known what to do to get back, right? It would yeah. have just been yeah. like spiraling out, being angry, being upset, having that live in me for days, weeks, and then not right. being able to come back into this feeling like, well, you know, some things you can just let go of. And right, it's not, and right. it's, but you know, saying, saying to someone, oh, Jen, you just need to let go of that. And you can say, oh, yeah, Lane. Like, <laughs> and if, uh, you know, if, if I, could. I could grab the stars in the sky, that would be good too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't do that. No, but no. There's, there's some opening, like a key in a lock with when we come in through the body, that if we can, can you know, clear that state of distress mm-hmm. and then sense, you know, even if it's just teeny bits of well being. Like you're saying, it creates new pathways, and then that expands, and then we can start to feel better. Well, and I think even the moment, like you're saying, of knowing that I'm out is so, that's also such a gift, you know, because I might not get back in immediately, but if I know I'm out, then I've already, I'm already dialing the volume. I'm already changing the knob in some way up or down because I have at least an observer part, an awareness that this, that's going on. And that that also might lead, if I wasn't my best self with you, when I'm back in my zone, I could say, oh my gosh, I was in my high zone or I was in my low zone or wherever I was. And, and now I can reconnect. And what is that like? And that's the place of repair and how often we don't get that opportunity. And I think that's where these skills come in. So, Well, so and I think that if we get into those states of being in the higher low zone too, there's a lot of shame and self-blame. Mm-hmm. And then how do we get mm-hmm. out of it to say, I don't want to live like that. And I don't want to live yeah. in those states. And yeah, I didn't show up as my best self, but then how can I next time make a difference yeah. or yeah. work on cultivating that? You know, Because I think that a lot of it is self-compassion. And yeah. sometimes we didn't get a lot of space as we were growing mm-hmm. up. If we made errors or we were asked to be somehow perfect and never were, then oh, yeah. then we <laughs> deep breath, Jen, is that where does the self-compassion come in? 
It's it's much easier, I think, for me in my life to be compassionate towards others and towards myself if I err or do something that I wish I would have done differently. I don't know if that has been your experience or not. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, that difference. And again, I think it's interesting because I think toxic shame lives outside the resilience zone. I think we could feel some shame if we can work with it. If I could look at you and say, oh, I'm in some shame right now. It's not so toxic anymore. I'm turning, again, turning the volume down on it is a little bit different. You know, but, but yeah, I think that perfectionism, shame, and, and I often do educate, you know, because our clients and we ourselves, if we're in our thoughts a lot of the time, I, I will often say things like never should always toxic shame, black and white thinking, those exist outside the resilience zone. Those are not resilient zone thoughts to have, uh-uh. you know, uh-uh. it's never going to be ever again. Like it's always going to be like you always. And I should have, right? and I should have done that. I right, should have done right, that. Right. Right. And those don't exist in the resilience zone. And even knowing that, so then I could catch myself talk and maybe I could then bring in a skill and go, Oh, that's not in my zone. And let me see. And then maybe I could find the self-compassion or if I can't find it, maybe I could connect with you or somebody who could say, who could help me, remember, and then I could give it to myself. Well, what I'm you know? seeing is that we all often say all loads lead to Rome, but mm-hmm. all roads lead back to the body awareness, whether yeah. it's our thought, our feeling, whether yeah. we're creating a story, and yes, we're meaning ma- makers, but we're, mm-hmm. also, um, we're also sensory beings, yeah. and that we have to pay attention to the sensations connected to all of those as mm-hmm. maybe the way to maybe find that compassion. I, you know, I I often think of this little girl that I talked to when I was in India in 2019, and she was talking about developing compassion. And mm-hmm. she said to a group of adults, she said, well, you know, if you're not in your resilient zone, you can't be compassionate. So that's what you need to learn yeah. first is how to tell the difference between those sensations of distress and well-being. Because then when you can do that, then you can have compassion. I thought, oh my gosh, from the mouth of a babe, right? She was probably about 10 years old. I thought, yes, right. I think that's it, right? Well, and back to that that aspect of feelings and emotions, right? It's the, the sensation is the feeling of the feeling. It's the, what does sadness feel like in the body? What does compassion feel like in the body? They all have different, probably different subtleties about them. And this is the invitation around how do we get subtle with it so that we can know how do I know to call it sad? How do I know to call it happy, content, joy, it's peace? Because what I sense in my body. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jen, I cannot believe this has been the fastest uh, one hour ever. No, <laughs> no. So I'm just going to ask you, you know, is there a parting thought that you would like to share um, with our our listeners right now as we're getting ready to almost end? You know, um, I do. I, I have something that I've been resonating with actually since um, the Jewish High Holidays happened around you know September time frame, and um, I was listening to a sermon by Rabbi David Wolpe, and he was talking about regret and and how um, how we hold regret. And he told this. He told a bunch of different stories within it, but one of the things was a story, the story from the Bible about Moses coming down from the mount. You know after having the Ten Commandments and finding everybody um, worshiping the golden calf and he broke the commandments because he was so upset. And, you know, again, does the story end there? Does the story end with the regret and the breaking and the shame and all the pain and all that? And, And no, it doesn't because what ended up happening is in the Ark of the Covenant, they put the new tablets in and they put the broken tablets in as well. And that we carry the broken with the whole. 
And that sense of what I think is so key about this kind of work is that it's not a denial of pain in our lives. It's not a denial that they're suffering, but it's, it's, you know, we're another thing Brene says is we're all struggling. We're all strength. You know, we have, we're all of those things. And so we can feel broken, but we're also whole. (laughs) And so how do we, how do we do both? Right. How do we express both? Well, and I think that's what we say, you know, it's in the mind, body, and spirit. So, Jennifer, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And people can get a hold of you at jenniferburtonmft.com if they'd Mm -hmm. like to to, uh, book a session with you, Jen. You better be careful. There may be a lot of people knocking at your door. (laughs) And and, And to my listeners, I think Jennifer is a perfect example of all the things we've been saying over the last year. What else is true? Listen to this wonderful young woman saying, yeah, it, that fear that fear and anxiety used to paralyze me, but no more. And it, mm-hmm. so, so to speak, saved your life. So it remember did. what else is true during this week until we meet again. The next time it will be after Christmas for those who um, celebrate Christmas. And I wish you a wonderful holiday and, um, and peace during this holiday season. And maybe spend a few moments to remember those people that you loved and all the things that you loved about them, like Jennifer remembered about her grandma today. Mm-hmm. That might be one way that we can also touch into our grief and also the wonderful resource that person was to our life. So until we meet again, this is Elaine miller Karras from Resiliency Within signing off for the day. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.